Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. My podcast co-host, John, has been on vacation for the last week, spending some time on the slopes. How was your vacation, John? Pretty good. I was uh, out at Mammoth for the last eight, nine days snowboarding um, pretty much every day, and it was uh, got there right after a storm, which is perfect. And then it was just sunny blue skies for the rest of the week. So couldn't have asked for a better vacation. That's good to hear. I'm very jealous. You sent me pictures and I've been stuck in my house and I'm ready for adventure and excitement. As soon as vaccine shot number two hits my bloodstream. Well, maybe a couple weeks after that. Yeah. I, this is like, this is my first time being out for anything other than groceries or like i guess essentials in the last year been pretty good about staying staying at home the last uh since last march so definitely needed this uh this trip for sure well man and today we're gonna go through some ace queen hands that i've played over the course of this last month in the first ace queen hand john do you want to set us up with the action uh sure so action begins with us under the gun at a 510 no limit holdem uh six max cash table on ignition we're under the gun with ace of hearts queen of diamonds uh open to two and a half x and the button who starts the hand with about 130 big blinds or 1300 um three bets are 25 dollars open to 85 dollars um think everything here is pretty oh sorry uh <clears throat> brad decides to four bet over the 85 dollars three bet to 220 dollars and i assume the button calls i think all the sizings here are very very standard and and um are very very good sizings i think uh the open to two and two and a half x obviously very standard the three bet to um 85 dollars i think the standard sizing is like 80 in the 510 pool but sizing up slightly when we are a little bit deeper than 100 big blinds i think definitely makes sense i guess maybe the one thing i would say is that your four bet sizing to 220 over the 85 is probably small for the pool um i don't think it's going to make any or much difference in ev but sort of the standard sizing i see for out of position four bets are is just like the full 3x so it would be like 255 i would expect to see 255 here a lot especially when both of you guys are a uh, little bit deeper than normal. Yeah, I think that's certainly something that I should have taken into consideration, being a little deeper than normal, mm-hmm. incentivizes to size up a little bit more. So I'm with you. Instead of using the 25 xish sizing for the out-of-position 4-bet, going full 3x makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ace-queen off going to be one of my major bluff 4-bet hands that I'm using in this situation so yeah i think just really when you're out of position you just 
have to have some four bet bluffs versus being in position you can call and realize equity like calling and seeing flops out of position is just it's a way to that gets you into a lot of trouble uh post flop and yeah utg this is one of the hands that i'm using as a four bet yeah. my four bet bluffs and so i do villain does call and then we see a flop of jack of clubs four of clubs deuce of clubs so monotone board i have the ace of hearts queen of diamonds there's 455 in the pot our opponent has about 1150 remaining we have them covered by a mile what are you starting out with here john um so as everyone knows everyone's listened to previous tactical tuesdays know i'm not very good at playing monotone boards i I think my default would just be to lead a quarter pot with range and four bet pots um, as the out of position four better. And I think that's what I would do here just as a default. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically like I'm leading quarter pot so I don't have to check full. <laughs> uh, and, which doesn't sound the same, that doesn't feel great, but uh, yeah, that's probably. So we got, some, we got some work to do on monotone boards. Um, yeah. Just basically, my, my thoughts on monotone boards and the way that the equities work is. Basically, even when you have aces, red aces here on this monotone board, Villain has a hand like sixes with the six of clubs. Like the equities are just going to run very close together. You don't have as much of an edge as you might think when the money goes in. And because of that, I start out by playing relatively cautious in these spots with large percentages of my range. So even aces, kings, and queens that are all red, I would start by checking. I would also start by checking black aces, kings, and queens. And the rationale for checking both is that villains can start bluffing. They can start putting money in with hands that we do have a decent equity advantage against, but they're not going to continue with too many hands that we're just smashing. Um, so really, because I structure my overpairs in that way, I start out by checking when I don't have anything either because, well, I kind of have to. Yeah. Um, interesting you say that because I, uh, I also mentioned this in one of the previous Tactical Tuesdays. Um, I've, I feel like I do a lot of checking with, my, uh, with hands that want to get to showdown with like over pairs and like, you know, on this Jack 4 deuce swap, like maybe some Jack X. And I just blast with my bluffs that don't really care about like uh getting raised or folding at some point like i've you mentioned a hand like sixes with the six of clubs like that's a hand that i feel pretty confident that um i can get to fold you know with like a flop and then maybe maybe just a turn barrel um so that's sort of what i would be thinking about or that's sort of how i think about these monotone boards when i have just absolutely nothing like you do here with uh red ace queen is like i'm just more comfortable blasting but i probably like i probably just blast that probably just makes me end up blasting way too often uh with air on on, on these monotone boards so maybe i should tone that down a little bit but anyways that's that's how i think of air versus value in these spots i play totally unbalanced yeah and i mean that might be the best way right because on ignition we're seat number three or whatever like yeah. there's no nobody's going to know our exact strategy on these monotone boards and that strategy very well may perform better than the one that I'm executing for what it's worth. When villain bets one fourth here, when I start with the check, I do start by calling. I mm -hmm. think that I, 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 I'm not really folding to the flop barrel, which 
I guess looking doing our database analysis that we did earlier makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically, because I have all the overpairs in my range that I start by checking, I also check call with some hands like this, hoping for like turn check throughs and then future barreling opportunities. Um, so really, yeah, that that's sort of how I structure my strategy. And uh, I'm certainly open to investigating to weigh alternative strategies to see if they can capture more EV. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all that said, the flop does go check, check, and we get a pretty nice looking turn card, the king of diamonds. So now we have a gut shot on this monotone board, but the king, obviously a good card for when we start checking here because ace king ought to be a fairly significant portion of our preflop four betting range in this formation. Uh, so here, John, what do you do on this board when the king pops off? Uh, similar to the flop, I think I would probably be really tempted to start bluffing on this uh, king of diamonds turn. Um, I think it's like reasonable that you might check a hand like red ace king on the flop and you know turn top pair a decent amount when you get to the turn uh, and the king of diamonds in this in this manner. I think we can start betting turn and putting pressure on hands like eights, nines, tens. Maybe they don't fold the flop or maybe they don't fold the turn, especially if they have a club, but uh, I think they're going to struggle to uh, call turn and river. So what you don't get to the turn in this manner. Yeah. Hardly hardly ever. Yeah. Just because of the way that you structure your strategy, Mm -hmm. but does ACE King bet here? Is it a pure bet? if you did have ace-king in this way? And what are you hoping to get two streets of value from? I don't know. I think I do bet ace-king on the turn. I don't know that I'm necessarily looking to get two streets. I just think that if I am going to go for a street of value, it's easier to get it on the turn because there are, just, there are a few more hands, like the ones that I mentioned, like ace nines, tens with the club, that are probably not folding to a... Uh, like a smaller sizing on the turn, but might just check back the turn and then fold to a river bet um, when they know that they just can't improve. Like let's say the river is like a like five of hearts or something, and then you bet the river. You mean for, call the, call the turn and fold to a river bet? Because you said check back the turn. Or so like what I'm worried about is like they have pocket eights with the eight of clubs, and they would be happy to call a turn bet because they have a flush draw um, that can improve and beat your ace king. But let's say the turn goes check check uh, because we don't bet our ace kings and then on the turn and then the river is just like a random blank. I think that the button has a easier time finding the fold, finding a fold on the river than they do on the turn with like a hand like eights with the eight of clubs. Um, once they just can't improve on the river, they, they don't have, they don't have outs versus a king anymore. That would be That's, probably the reason that like, if you, if you were like, okay, you, you can only go for one street of value. Where do you want to get it? Like I, for me, I think it would be the turn. Well, it's very interesting that you say that because on the same side, you say you bet your ace-king here on the turn. Yeah, I do, because I don't want it to go check-check. Because you don't want it to go check-check, right? Yeah. But you also bet your ace-queen. Yeah, but then I'm blasting the river with my ace-queen and maybe not blasting the river with my ace-kings. Okay. So you're basically taking a two-street bluff line and a one-street value line with ace-king. Yeah, with like an option to maybe go for two streets depending on like the run out or like, 
you know, you, you did just say that if the turn goes check, check, they can find folds fairly easily with eights through tens, right? Wouldn't that give some merit to checking the turn with our ace queens so that we can bluff the river? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's actually, I mean, that, that's definitely true. Like, like if, if I'm betting my ace kings because I'm worried that I won't get the value on the river, then yeah, you can certainly choose to bluff your ace queens in, in the same way that you would value bet your ace kings. But I still think I get more folds from two barrels, barreling turn and river with my ace queens. And I just feel more comfortable like going bet bet with my bluffs than uh, like trying to be, you know, trying to trying to like balance out my ace king checking on the turn and then try to go for a bluff on the river. I just, I don't know. I feel comfortable firing as many, most comfortable when I'm firing as many shells as possible with my gloves. Um, <laughs> I would think about my ace queens and ace kings. Totally unbalanced. If someone knew I was doing this, yes, they could absolutely destroy me. But again, we're playing on ignition. So. Yeah, it's true. It's funny that I'm taking the theoretical side of this hand. Yeah, I feel like I rarely hear you like try to achieve balance in any situation. I actually try to achieve balance in lots of situations. Maybe I even overdo it in some situations, but especially in spots like this where I know I'm playing a rag, I do try to go for more balance just because I don't want to leave myself open to anything. And I think this is a, a pretty good way to go about it. Like I'm not overfolding here when I check with my ace queens and my ace kings because of fill in bets. I still have hands that can defend and I still have bluffs on when we reach the river node when turn goes check, check. So yeah, I think like, yeah, just taking the, the more theoretical, theoretically safe approach in this spot than you are. Yeah. And and, if, and I agree that that's if you're playing against a reg, that that is the person to to take this approach against. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it's a fish, then I'm probably not four betting in the first place, and this hand is just very very differently played. The turn does go check check. Like I, I don't bet the turn. Turn goes check check, and now the river pairs the four. So jack of clubs, four of clubs, deuce of clubs turns the king of diamonds, and the river pairs the four. And now that we've talked a lot about what we would do on the river, you're never getting here in this way, so I, it may be even a waste of a question to ask. I, I would not bluff the river if I got to the river in this way. I, I think um that totally just goes against what i said like five minutes ago about like them being able to find some bolts with like eights nines tens uh maybe i'm just overvaluing like the tiny teeny tiny bit of showdown that ace queen has um in this situation i feel like it has slightly more showdown when post swap just goes check check all the way to the river yeah i i i would i i would check i think the river uh if i'd gotten gotten to the river in this manner Wow. I don't, I don't even have words for that. After saying that you would play ace-king for a value bet on the turn because they fold too much when the turn goes check-check, seems like you'd be chopping at the bit to start betting with ace-queen here. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'd like bet huge would be my... Like bet big would be my thing? I don't know. I, I... You know what's interesting is I, I kind of see the problem. The problem is that you don't really play hands in this way, and because you don't, you don't have a fundamental understanding of what you would do because you haven't thought about it. Yeah. And I think like, just to add on to like what I'm probably having trouble understanding is like how the button is supposed to play versus someone who plays this way. And like, I don't really know how they're supposed to react or how they actually react because I never play, uh, you know, ace queen in the, in, in this way. And I think that's also probably 
adding a lot of confusion to like, <laughs> do I better? Do I check the turn? Like, do I better check the river? Like, what hands am I doing that? What hands am I doing it with? Well, it's so, the same. It's the same. Like conceptually in like poker power hour where we analyze a hand, but then somebody gets to a node in a way that we just never do. And then it's just kind of mass confusion because like, we don't know how to play this because we don't ourselves get, get there this way. So I'm going to give you a pass on, on this hand and this, uh, no, sort of just the flop and just one, honestly, that's <laughs> sort of contradictory changing of strategies and <laughs> lo- logical, uh, you know, this logic's kind of falling through a dark hole. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with all, with everything said, like I, I do bet the river because of all the reasons that I said, that was really my plan. And especially the way that this hand was structured at ace queen is a natural bluff that makes sense to me. And I also have ace king aces in my range. So felt good. And I chose half pot mostly because I felt like half pot was the value sizing that I'm going to use with ace king and aces. Any issues with my sizing on the river, John? Yeah, that's a spot where, like, again, I am just wildly unbalanced with my bluff sizing and my um, value bet sizing. Like, I would just, I would bet bigger than half here, I think, if I was forced to bluff or, like, forced to get to this river and then bluff. Um, I think I'd probably go larger. I I don't know if that, like, accomplishes. I'm not, like, 100% sure if that accomplishes uh, much more in this particular situation than going half pot. But I'd probably bet over $300 um, into the 455 on the river. Just I don't know what hands you're you're targeting, but just targeting like pocket pairs and maybe some like weaker Jack X, like Jack Ten or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean that those are the hands that I'm targeting. Yeah, like, yeah. The hands that we talked about: eight, eight signs, tens, Jack Ten suited, Queen Jack suited, Ace Jack even potentially. Yeah. Uh, villain. So for the listener, villain tanked, went into their time bank actually, and found the call with king queen of spades so they turn top pair and i felt pretty good about the way i played this hand especially when they went into their time bank and called with top pair i can't imagine a world that they were considering raising especially in a four bet pot here because like i'm pretty polarized when i bet the river not really betting like king pin or worse value i would not imagine but yeah, so they called and I lost. And yeah, I mean, basically, if I just bet a fourth on the flop, obviously I win versus this very specific hand that they have. But again, it's very, it's an interesting discussion. And after the jump, we're going to play a hand where there's some things that happen as it relates to sizing that kind of lead to an interesting river decision and a question on whether or not to play it safe or go nuts. Stick around after the break for ace-queen hand numero dos. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. 
All you got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. Welcome back to this ace-queen offsuit version of Tactical Tuesday, everybody's favorite hand. So, John, would you like to set the listener up for hand number two? So, another ace-queen hand. This time we're on the button with ace of clubs, queen of diamonds. Uh, don't think the suits end up mattering that much, but it's ace-queen offsuit. We opened $25, and the big blind, who starts the hand with 100 bigs, uh, three bets to $110, and we call, I think, everything. Uh, sizing and actions preflop are all completely standard. Flop comes queen, nine, eight, with two hearts. And the big blind, C bets uh, for one-third pot, $70.50 into $225. Um, don't think we have two much uh too much of a decision here i'm probably just pure calling with uh with ace queen yeah i'm don't really see a need to raise the flop with our top pair top kicker it's hard to get value from worse if villain is bluffing with king 10 king jack ace jack ace 10 type hands we certainly want them to continue barreling and yeah if we if we run into Jack 10 suited or aces or Kings, then we're pretty much going broke no matter what we do. So may as well keep the bluffs in range instead of raising and folding them out. Yeah. I also think it's really easy to find much stronger hands to raise on queen nine, eight. Um, you're going to have queen nine. You're going to have eight, nine suited. You're going to have pocket nines, pocket eights. Um, so Jack just, 10 suited. Yeah. There's just no, there's just far from a lack of, of raise candidates. So another reason I would just call it ace queen. Absolutely. Uh, so we call 366 in the middle now. Turn is a three of spades. So the board is now queen, nine, eight, three uh, with a heart flush draw. And the big blind now checks. I guess this is maybe a decision point that's worth talking about, Brad. Um, the decision to whether a decision of whether you should bet or check back the turn once the big blind checks. Yeah. So villain checks out of the big blind. I do think villain can have some traps here. Aces and kings i don't think they're going to be trapping with eights or nines or jack 10 suited i think that those hands pretty much start by betting it felt hard to get two streets of value and i also wanted to have some hands that could pretty safely and easily call river bets or value bet ourselves if villain checks twice so i opted to check back kind of protect my my turn checking range and play this pot for what I assumed would be one more bet. Again, if villain has King 10, King Jack, Ace Jack, Ace 10, give them a chance to barrel on the river, maybe even find some kind of overbet bluff once we check back and seemingly cap our range. Uh, so yeah, that those are pretty much the reasons why I decided to check back with the Ace Queen. And I don't think our hand actually needs a ton of protection because villains just have some gut shots and overcards that, yeah, I mean, they're going to have seven outs or 
whatever, but that's 14% equity. So I don't think our ace queen necessarily needs a ton of protection and playing it for one street, inducing future bluffs, all those reasons led to me checking the turn. Yeah. I like to check, especially when you have the ace as well. And you're just, that's just another overcard or one overcard that you don't have to worry about um, protecting against. Uh, again, similar to the flop, I think there are lots of other stronger hands in ace queen that we can choose to value at the turn. Um, all the hands that I mentioned that I might raise on the flop are probably better turn that candidates than ace queen, except for maybe jack 10, which you can um, you can also probably decide to trap if you want. So yeah, uh, I like to check back on the turn. Another interesting thing that might happen and kind of a little foreshadowing is we can check back the turn and face value bets from weaker hands, right? Like we can get value bets that maybe we wouldn't get if we just bet the turn if i did bet the turn i would go very very small something in the order of like one third yeah i, I like that i like the turn sizing as well uh here's a question i just thought of when you check the turn you said that you're kind of capping your range um i, I definitely agree that that's true we probably don't have the best value hands on on this board when we check back the turn but do you think that you now have no bluffs when you check back the turn like you only have down driven hands or very strong hands that are trapping because i i know for a fact that that would certainly be true for me if the big one checked this turn i would stab all my flush draws all my gut shots all my straight draws on the turn i would bet i i actually wouldn't raise this board as heavily as you probably would okay i would call with like eight nine suited likely call with eights and nines and have and also call with jack 10 mm-hmm. so i would i would have a fairly decent value range when i bet the turn as well okay hey that's fine but like once you check back like are you are you are you checking back like flush draws or gut shots on the turn probably not yeah like basically i'm betting i'm betting my sets i'm betting my straights and i'm also betting my gut shots and like king 10 king jack with king jack king jack king 10 of spades type hands right right yeah uh not too pertinent right now but i think that's something that will become a little bit more important on the river right so Set the set the listener up with the river. So the river pairs the board. It's the three of diamonds. Pretty brick river. The board is now queen nine eight three three. Three hundred sixty six dollars in the pot, and I believe the big blind leads the river for one thirty. Bets one hundred twenty one into the three sixty six. Obviously, we are never folding ace queen to this size. Uh, I think the only question is to as as to whether we should call the 121 or find some sort of raise um, with top, with our top pair, top kicker. I think what's interesting here is that the natural trap hands that I talked about on the turn, the aces and the Kings that may check and not bet, uh, see bet the turn, those hands I'm convinced that on this run out, when they decide to go for value, they're going to choose a big sizing. And this small sizing is basically the final puzzle piece for me that sealed the deal that ace queen is just the best hand here almost always. And I came to the conclusion relatively quickly that I should be jamming the river for value. I don't know that I have a ton of bluffs when I check back the turn and then jam the river for value. I don't know that it necessarily matters because villain doesn't know that. But I also know that, like, from villains sizing here, I just can't imagine them betting 121 with kings. Like, 
when they don't block a queen, uh, they can get value from ace queen, queen jack, uh, even king queen. Um, yeah, they're just going to choose two thirds. I I can't imagine villain choosing one third here with hands that are over pairs or the hands that beat ace queen. Yeah, I I'm agree I'm in agreement with you. Um, this definitely looks like maybe a, some sort of queen or a pair smaller than a queen going for some thin value on the river, hoping that you call with uh like some sort of pocket pair or maybe like an eight. Uh, I think like it's actually a little bit more reasonable given that you check back the turn and it's it, it feels like you have uh some some hand that has a little bit of showdown and, and wants to get to the river. So maybe you can find uh a few more value bets when when you check back the turn. I don't find the raise on the river in these spots with Ace Queen. Um I think it's a mix of me kind of overthinking the situ- overthinking the situation maybe and, and giving uh, my opponents too much credit. Like I, I, I'm just so concerned here that I don't have any bluffs when I raise this river and that when I do jam this river, uh, the big blind is somehow going to know that I don't have any bluffs and is just going to call with only hands that beat mine and fold all the worst ones. <sighs> my suspicion, I guess, is that I'm, I'm leaving value uh, on the table overall by doing that and, and I don't have to be worried about getting stacked when they bet one third on the river uh and this uh after taking this line for all the reasons that uh brad you just mentioned like they're just so incentivized to go like two thirds or three quarters with their their strong value um but yeah that's just a long way to say that i personally do not find the river raise here with ace queen and this is in direct contradiction to hand number one where i went theoretical and you went exploit and now i'm going exploit and you're sticking with theoretical i think what ultimately led me to jamming the river was because i could eliminate all of the value portion of villain's range and once i kind of realized or recognized that there's not much danger here that because of villain's line and choosing this one-third sizing that I don't have to be concerned with aces or kings or boats, really. That just led me to pretty quickly realize that like only good things can happen if I jam. If I'm never losing, I can eliminate all the hands that beat me because I think they all take alternative lines. Then I'm just going to jam and hope for the best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like my fear is like, oh, like maybe like 1% of the time they're trapping here with pocket Queens. And like, that's the only hand they call with. So every time I jam, they just call with Queens and you know, that's the only hand they call with and and I get stacked. Um, I think we'll very soon see that that is clearly not the case. Yeah. Let's, let's go to the big reveal here. So I jam and villain did tank for quite a bit. They went in their time bank and how much more did he have to call? Remember? 700, 700 more. Okay. It's it's a quite a significant jam. I mean, he's yeah, got 70 big, 70 big blinds left. Yeah. And I felt like I felt like jamming was pretty much the only option. I didn't want to raise small. I felt that from villain's perspective, my bluffs just want to jam, apply max pressure. Um if I do have a hand like king jack, king 10, something like that. Right, right. So, yeah, villain tanked forever, found the call and I beat pocket pins. So, villain Villain finds a call with tens, which yeah uh, blows blows the smithereens a little bit. The theory that they're only calling with the last set of queens, yeah. Um, because if they're calling with tens, they're probably calling with jacks, and if they're calling with tens and jacks, they're probably calling with queen jack or king queen. 
Yeah. I, I like, again, like that's, that was me saying, that was what I said earlier about like maybe me just giving way too much credit to like the opponent in the big blind than just thinking like, Oh, he knows that I don't have any bluffs. So he's just going to fold the tens and jacks and like not stack off with them and only stack off with hands that beat mine. But clearly that's just couldn't be further from the truth. I think that will sum it up that when you jam and you're kind of bulletproof villain doesn't have any real reasonable hands that can beat us just good things happen when you jam like villains start putting together stories in their mind that may make sense or may not make sense and then they freak out at about the three second mark and just click call because curiosity gets the better of them oh yeah especially yeah like if, if this is this big blind especially if he doesn't know that you're 100 percent stabbing all your draws on the turn like you can definitely concoct some story in your head about Oh, maybe he checked back the turn with the flush draw and is now spazzing versus my my uh, my one third river sizing and. Well, I mean, here here's the story. What do I call with after I bet one third? Am I just folding everything in my range here? Like, is that good? Should I be folding everything in my range? That's very exploitable. Maybe I should find a call, and the timer is going five, four, three. <laughs> ah, screw it. I'll just call. Like, I, I don't want to fold everything, so I need to have some calls. So I'm just gonna call, and you know. Probably in hindsight, they realized that if they're calling with tens, they're very likely overcalling rivers. But just you put pressure on people in spots, and they find calls that they probably shouldn't. I mean, I, I can say that, that I've done the same exact thing: calling with inappropriate hands in a time crunch, just because I'm afraid of one thing or the other. Yeah, yeah, same. Cool, man. Great episode of Tactical Tuesday. Good having you back. And yeah, we'll uh, wrap up and we'll see you next week. Cool. Thanks, Brad. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.